0: Good day. Welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. Today it's Pastors Jason Vaughn and Gina Galermo with special guests Thomas Messina and Gabriel Simmons. And today we have an interesting discussion on ministering to the homeless. Welcome back. It's good to be here. It's good to be in the studio again. Yes, sir. Yep. Uh, studio, of course, being my front room. So I uh, apologize beforehand. You may hear children in the background, dogs barking,
1: uh, Ice Cream Man.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. The, all the different people that go by on my street. Everybody.
1: It's, yep. You're, we're live. Yes, we're this live. Is, uh, yep. No editing.
0: Filmed in front of a live studio audience. Yeah. Well, today, uh, interesting discussion, Uh, kind of, I know I I promised one, but we're going to deliver another, so that's how it goes. But uh, the timing worked out, and so this has kind of been one of our podcast discussion ideas that we've had for a little while, and today we want to address it. Uh, Totally realized, want to say it at the get-go, that this one might be, could be controversial for some people.
1: Yeah, I think so. Uh, It's because if you make it about politics, then yes.
0: And we're going to push back a little bit on what I call the popular rhetoric.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: So, because the the popular rhetoric is that the church's job is to help the homeless. Mm -hmm. And so there's a heart for people that are homeless, Mm -hmm. which is fair.
1: Well, feed the poor is the way it's always phrased, right? Yes. like help the weak. Yes. Yes.
0: Which... Again, this is all fair in the right context. Correct. Yeah. So, but, um, at the same token, there is a reason right now why we don't have a homeless ministry in the church. Mm -hmm. Um, mainly the church is here to make disciples. And so in that regard, um, we want to make disciples, but kind of answering this question, you know, that what, what do you do about homeless people? And one, I think it's good that people have a heart for homeless, mm-hmm. and I think you need to have... A, but I would just say you don't need to add the word homeless, but maybe just have a heart for people.
1: A <laughs> heart for people. Um, I think homelessness presumes uh, a few things. Yes. Um, number one, that they're poor. Yes. That they're weak. Yes. That they're incapable. Yes. And those are not always all true. Yes. Right? So, yeah.
0: And that's why our special guests today have mucho experience with the Las Vegas homeless be pe- crowd. Yes. Yeah. And maybe even the lower income crowd. Mm-hmm. And so in that way, we want to talk about that. And here's my new dog who's announcing her presence to the podcast. So yep. <laughs> that would be Kyla's dog. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Ripley. Yes. We all hear you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Welcome. yes. You want it. You want to get your say. Okay. And I, I can't interpret that. So she was it, speaking in no, tongues. She just
1: kind of walked in here and yep. barked into the air for no reason at <laughs> yep. all.
0: Speaking in her tongues. Yeah. Kyla's dog's charismatic. Sabine's quiet.
1: Mm. My dog, my dog. Oh, your dog's Bean. Okay. My dog's a good one. So. Mm. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but um, yeah, so uh, I think the thing for our approach is this, and this is where I want to weave our approach in with the discussion and then and then get... And then interview our guests here, and and ask the question. And by the way, guests—they're like—they go to our church. He, like, if you you know them, we'll say, yes, that's fair. Ripley, that's enough. Dog. Okay. So anyway, uh, what we want to do is have this conversation, right? Because I think when you want to minister to people, you really need to understand who you're ministering to. You can't just, you know, if you look at a, if you look at an issue on the table, and you say there's a problem you you may right you can kind of look and say hey something's not right something's not normal something's out of line here but you have to really investigate the problem if you want to answer the problem and solve the problem
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah and i think from from my observation at the at the like media level what what media writes articles on they they like to look at the homeless and say oh there's a big homeless problem like mm-hmm. the problem is there's they don't have a home mm-hmm. And I think what we've learned is that that's actually not the problem. Right. So what I want to do is I want to diagnose the problem because if you're going to say, "Hey, we need to help this homeless out," then at least make sure you diagnose what the problem is mm-hmm. before you go throwing money at the solution.
1: Right. Yeah. Because if you, if if the if you say homeless, then you're also automatically you're thinking the problem is that they don't own a home. Yes. Well, that's not really the problem. That's right. the it's a it's probably a symptom yes. of the major problem. Yes. So, because if the problem is a home, I mean, let's build homes. Yes. Let's build let's build uh, places that they can live. Yes. That that should solve the problem. But yes. we do that already, and it doesn't solve the problem.
0: Yes. And I think, as we're going to hear, there are actually already homes built and establishments set up for them to go live in if they wanted to. Right. Yes. So. What I want to do is is interview you guys because what I've learned from you guys is that I no longer view it as a homeless problem. Mm-hmm. I view it as a different problem. Mm-hmm. And so we'll let them kind of talk yes. about what they've seen yeah. and experienced. And just before we get started, obviously we're, we're going to talk in generalities. There are probably legit some, some people that the problem is homelessness. Yes. Okay. But we're, we're saying from what I've learned from you guys, that that's actually, like, less than 5%. Yeah,
1: at least that, in our context,
0: yes. context here... Yes, in, in Las Vegas. Vegas
1: yes. Uh, from Yeah, from what we're aware of. Yes. And, um, you know, it, it's probably close to the same kind of situation with other places, other metropolitan areas. Yes. So...
0: I would guess that L.A. has the same problem we do.
1: Yeah. Yeah, okay.
0: All right, so with that said... Um, I don't know who wants to go first. Well, I can pass my
1: mic, okay, and then you can you can hold on to yours. Ooh. So I'll give I'll okay. give it to Gabe, and we'll go go this way.
0: Okay, right. so Gabe, you are a tell, tell us about yourself. You are a police officer, and you are uh, stationed on the strip. That's correct. Okay, and so you run into a lot of homeless people. I do. Okay, like a lot every day.
2: Oh, like a lot, a lot. Yeah, yeah. like every day. Yeah, it's probably ninety five percent of what I deal with on the strip. Really? Wow. Easily. So, about Easily. how many
0: contacts a day?
2: Oh, goodness. It, it really depends on the day. Um, average it out probably because I got to think official stops probably about 10. Okay. But the amount of people that I actually interact with is much more than that. Gotcha.
0: So even 10, you work
2: 10-hour shifts? I do.
0: So even 10 is one an hour.
2: Yeah. And for first officials. hours briefing, then I have an hour lunch and then become hour debrief at the end. Wow. So you
0: guys get an hour lunch.
2: It's it's a pretty easy job. actually. Do we get an hour lunch? We don't get an hour lunch. I mean, but you only work one day a week. So, oh, this is true. Yes. Okay. This is overtime. I guess
0: (laughs) this is overtime. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So, okay. So in those 10, in those, so you, you're talking 10 official, meaning that you have to write a report on those 10. Correct. Okay. So you have more that you're not uh, writing a report on those.
2: Yeah. uh, Yeah. okay. Okay.
0: And in general, so just just tell us what you want to tell us in on, like, in your experience with the homeless people, the homeless, quote-unquote, air quote.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the the thing that I see is, like, about 90% of the homeless people that I come across with, and I'm not trying to use any type of hyperbole whatsoever. I'm trying to be a fair estimate. About 90% of the people that I come across with don't want help. So, uh, for example, the last dude that I ran across on the strip – offered him a ton of different services that we have. It's called the Community Impact Center, something we have available. We can cite them into there where the ticket that they get, there's no fine with it. There's no jail time associated with it. If they show up, what they do is they offer some different services to help them get off the streets, basically. They can get a Nevada ID, help them set them up with employment, shelter. They have showers, food, all these different things that are available to them. And only about 5% of the people that I actually asked to go there show up and then only about 5% of that 5% take advantage of the services and most of them end up dropping out. The problem is that what I've seen, this last dude said, like, I don't want to take advantage of the services because I have to follow their rules. Like, I have to have my curfew. I can't be using drugs. I can't be using alcohol. And that's really what the crux of the issue is. It's like, I know you've mentioned this before, but it's not a homeless problem per se, it really is more of a drug problem. And what we see from those drug issues is people not caring about life. A lot of them think that they're more free than they are, than we are, because they don't have any responsibilities. They don't have to worry about anything. They can just live wherever they want, do whatever they want, and they can get high all the time. So they think there's freedom in that. Um, It's unfortunate because if you don't want to be homeless. You don't have to be homeless. The people that I come across who genuinely are down on their luck, who don't want to be homeless, they don't stay homeless. I, I point them in the direction of the services, and I never see them again. So a lot of the people that we end up dealing with are repeat offenders. Um, I think one thing that we got to look at with framing this is that there's a difference between like someone who is struggling, someone who's poor, and someone who's actually like, and homelessness, if that makes sense. Like, when the stereotypical homeless person that you are coming across is more so of a shyster. They know how to play up a story to make you feel sympathetic for them, and they will do whatever they can to get their next buck so that they can buy drugs. If you do want to help homeless people, I mean, you can point them in the direction of the different services that are available to them. I would say never to give them money, because... 99% of the time, they're going to use it to buy drugs. If you want to give them anything, give them food, water, or anything of that nature. But I think it's understanding what the responsibility of the church is in that and versus an individual responsibility. Like The church's job is, is to conduct ministry, to make disciples. By giving food and water, having a homeless shelter and stuff like that, that's maybe tending to someone's temporal need, but it's not necessarily ministering them the gospel
0: yeah okay, and we can talk about that here in a little bit. Okay. Um, because I think that's I think that's fair, and even like what Gina said earlier that um, and I'll ask you this, a lot of those people actually have income. Yes. okay, do you know kind of in your in your discussions with them where that income comes from? Social
2: security or some type of disability or government aid? Gotcha.
0: So yeah. they're actually getting checks. Yes, but they are choosing not to spend that money on any kind of bedding
2: shelter. Yeah. Drugs are expensive. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I haven't purchased any, so I don't know. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm sure Thomas could probably add in on that too a little bit. Yeah. So,
0: so, all right, Thomas, let's, let's get your background to this because I think, uh, that that'll be helpful to hear because kind of really similar perspectives, but two different angles.
3: Yeah. Cause I think what, what Gabe sees are the people that are out there hustling to get the money. They come into my neighborhood to buy the drugs. Um, it is very, very common uh, to see people shooting up, uh, smoking crack. Uh, you just see it all. You've been on the streets long enough. Um, so the context where I come from is, is I, I always say I open up the door uh, at Casa de Luz and I'm in the mission field, right? Um, and, and what he said is absolutely correct. It's not a homeless problem. It's a drug problem. Uh, the mental illness, we'll, we'll touch on that is, is drugs. Um, and and my argument is, is always, you never see reports when people talk about, uh, mental illness, you know, schizophrenia is up 400%. Wow. What's going on? You know, manic depression is up 217%. What's going on? It's never in that context because it's not that. And of course, we're not talking about the outliers here. Um, but we're talking about, um, drug abuse and what it does to the body and the mind. So yeah, I agree with everything that, that Gabe says, but I say, if you come into the, the neighborhood early enough, about seven, seven fifteen in the morning, I call it rush hour. And you see everybody walking out of the neighborhood out either on like Cleveland, Cincinnati Boulevard to the strip between Sahara and the Strat. You'll see them going out to go out, whether it's panhandling Um, stealing the the CVS at the corner at Sahara and Las Vegas Boulevard. I was in there one time where a guy literally, he had a whole basket of stuff and just ran out the door (laughs) and and gone. So there's a guy in the neighborhood that comes around, you know, if you need anything, there's guys, you tell them, I need this, and they'll go out and steal it, and they'll come back for a price. Uh, You know, guys opening up backpacks, hey, I got this bottle. One guy pulled out a bottle of Tito's Vodka. Complete with the plastic security seal on the top of it, and hey, you know, twenty bucks. And I was met, there was a, a a friend of mine in the neighborhood. He said, "Oh yeah, he's like that guy's great." He's like, "I I got a six hundred dollar bar in my apartment that cost me a hundred fifty dollars." He's like, "You get all the best stuff. You just tell him what you need, and he'll get it." Um. So yeah, I don't know where you want to take it from from there, but I, it just yeah, amen to to what what Gabe said.
0: Yeah, and so just so people know. Uh, kind of in your ministry, how much do you want to share about that? like just so people know kind of what you do down there
3: yeah, so i'll talk about what I do. Um, but but Casa de Luz, it was set up to be kind of the light in our neighborhood, so that's industrial and Las Vegas Boulevard, Sahara, and Wyoming. so it's known as Naked City uh, behind the stratosphere and it's low income uh, it's a lot of drugs. Uh, so last week there was a shooting on Tuesday, one on Friday, Monday, another shooting Tuesday, another big incident, man with a gun in the apartments right next to us. Um, all of these, the Tuesday shooting was directly into an apartment of one of our families. So our families are the ones that were dialed into. We tutor the kids. Uh, we work with the parents. Maybe they're in an uh, English class. Maybe they're in, uh, uh, celebrate recovery uh, maybe they're at our Bible studies. Uh, Monday, they were shooting into the apartment above one of our families, and we had two other families in the apartments right next door. And um, so just a very uh, violent crime's been up. Just a very, uh, you know, it's darkness. It's, you know, you, um, you know, we, we read it in the Bible, and, and we're in the middle of it. Yeah. So uh, my job, I'm out on the streets. I'm, I'm outreach. And so I, I get to go out and tell people about the gospel yeah. all day long, go out and love and, and serve our neighbors. And, and I want to echo that, you know, the, the homeless population inside of it, they're, they're still our neighbors. We're still love them. They're still made in the image of God, still have worth. Yeah. But the way that we support them is through the gospel. Um, you know, if somebody's real hungry, we'll give them a snack, but we don't do meals or anything like that. Um, but it's encouragement to hear the gospel, make a decision to, to go in. In three years, we've gotten three people into detox that we're going to go on to a program. So that's one per year. Many yeah. people that we've brought over and walked out, and some that are just, you know, they love it. You know, um, they're their own gods. Yep. They have no authority. And, um, you know, and then there, there's sin behind that, that habit, right? Um, so, so it, it, it's basic. I think it just manifests, the sin manifests in different ways, you know, in, in, in mine before I was converted, it was just a, a different way, a different sin, right? That theirs is this, but at the end of the day, everyone has value.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Isaiah forty-seven ten. you felt secure in your wickedness. You said, no one sees me, your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray and you said in your heart i am and there's no one besides me and i know even when i was in the rehab facility that all of those guys in their mind were actually wise and very knowledgeable and yet you see the fruit of their work and you go well that you're not very wise and knowledgeable bro because you know you're addicted to this to this substance you've lost all of your family you've you've lost all of your friends you've lost everything you know and again not that not that having nobody takes their house with them but there's a sense in which too they they don't they're not really they don't really have dignity although in their minds they're dignity because um, because they're experts at what they do but it's it's so interesting how they're locked into their own way of thinking and they almost um in my experience and and probably in you guys experience too i'm not trying to project here but right how many of them think you're the one that doesn't get it
2: yeah Literally, almost every single person that I come across, and I think you hit something that was pretty interesting there that a lot of these people are actually very intelligent, yeah some of the conversations i've had with them these dudes are smart, a lot of the like they're very innovative, and if they would take the energy that they use for i mean some of the contraptions that they come up with, the schemes that they come up with, they know how to work the systems, if they took that same energy and applied it just to living with like a normal life yeah. you there'd be no reason why they wouldn't be off the streets. And I like what Thomas mentioned as well, that these people are their own gods, right? Yeah. And that they, at the root of it, right? We say it's not a homeless problem. It's a drug problem, but that stems from what a, a sin problem. And that's why just throwing money at them, it doesn't solve the problem. It doesn't change anything. It's, it, you have to go and give them the gospel. I, I, um, is it okay if I bring up a scripture?
0: Yeah, just real quick, that end of 4710, yeah. right? Your knowledge and your wisdom led you astray. You said in your heart, I am, and there is no one beside mm. me. So there, there's yep. even, you know, this recognition. I think that's the addict's heart.
2: Yeah. yeah go ahead, though. Well, uh, so I was li- Acts 3, um, and it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, The hour of prayer, and a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms, but Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And then it goes on to talk about how people marveled at this. They ended up praising God because of this. You see, the focus that at least I I garner from this of of, uh, Peter here was to minister the gospel to him, not to necessarily care to his money problem is temporal need. He didn't right. throw money at the problem. He gave him the gospel. Right. And I, I think that should be where our focus is. If in ministering to someone who's homeless.
0: Yeah. Agreed. I mean, ultimately that's, that's our take on this is that you've got to minister to the gospel to people because once born again, people start to make born again decisions <laughs> and non born again, people make non born again decisions.
3: And they're, they're, I won't say who the gentleman is, but directly in my life, three days a week, if not four, because we do outreach together, that, will tell you, was on the streets for 17 years, addicted to everything, from, from cigarettes to heroin, crack, name it. He did everything, and it was when that gospel broke through that that's when the addiction went gone, and, and there's plenty of other people that I've talked to. There's, there's plenty of other people. Um. Yeah, you know when that when that moment hit, it it goes. Um, there, there's a
0: there's a slight real quick too. There's a slight distinction between what you guys are talking about too, because um, Thomas, you're helping some people who are poor, and you know we're Gabe. You 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 may or may not even know you're running into somebody that's that's dirt poor, yeah. or to use the expression right, and so. Thomas, you've said this a couple times too. Maybe explain that you've often felt like the answer is not more money for them, but it's something else.
3: <laughs> the three or four decisions. Uh, uh, uh yeah. So, uh, you know, it's it's the the adage that that they're three good decisions away from, you know, climbing out of where they are, or or some people are three bad decisions. Uh, We have someone in the neighborhood that was making three bad decisions and were where they were, got pregnant and said, "Okay, I have to stop using this drug because once they found out that they were pregnant and has now made three good decisions uh, with a little help uh, that my my counterpart has been able to give, I think in 30 days, they're going to be out of the neighborhood away from that. But, you know, if you just take somebody and move environments, you know, they showed up and the problem comes with it. But to get support, um, to get some support to help her on this journey uh, after she has the baby and really setting a way into life. And of course, all through this time, working with the family, with with the gospel, with her daughter and all this stuff. So, um, but yeah, it's three good decisions away. Yeah, I, I think uh, I don't know if you want to elaborate more on that, um, but it, it kind of what what I think Gabe was talking about. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's Romans 128. I'm sorry, Romans 118 down to the, the end of the chapter. Um, they all know this. You know, I stopped by and saw one of our our, our friends has been on the streets forever, actually has a son that somebody else took in. Uh, The son's having all kinds of problems. Mom's in jail. Sees his dad on the streets. I mean, bad. And I was driving out, and I rolled down the window and said, hi to him, let me just call him Tim. And I said, hey, Tim, how you doing? And he looked at me and said, you know, I can't lie to you. He's like, but but not good. And it's like, okay, when? You know, when? When is enough enough? You know? Um, But he's just for whatever reason, not there yet, you know, right. hasn't come through, so. Well,
0: well and that's, you know, t- to, to you guys' point, to kind of to summarize the point a little bit, um, what I hear you guys saying is the problem is actually not a lack of money, and the solution isn't just to get them into a quote-unquote normal life. And I think that's where we as a church stand, too, that, that, you know, to get somebody into a normal life doesn't mean you've saved them. It doesn't mean God saved them. And that the, there's still the big problem of death and eternal life sitting there that that ultimately has to be dealt with. And so what I hear you guys saying is what we don't have, we don't have a homeless problem. We have a drug problem on the streets. We have uh, an idolatry problem at the personal level because these people think of themselves as their own gods. They think of themselves as, um, right, as freer, even though they're not. We recognize they're not. They are ingesting enough drugs to cause mental illnesses, to, to really jack up their head, which then in turn does cause problems for society because now they're, now society is dealing with their personal decisions and their own personal sin. And so the wave, the effect of that is pretty devastating. You know, like adultery uh, can devastate, you know, at least your spouse and your kids and maybe some people outside of that. But this this is at a different level because the the ripple effect is rippling into people that you don't know. You know, the owner of CVS is having to write off thousands of dollars a loss a day kind of thing. And so, you know, that guy's trying to put food on the table, whether or not you think CVS is the big bad man or not. It doesn't matter. It's still, you know, somebody's profits lost. And so, you know, you have all these, basically, and kind of thinking about the problem, what we're trying to say is that we don't view this as a homeless problem. Mm-hmm. This isn't a financial problem. This is an idolatry drug problem.
1: Yeah, <clears throat> I, you know, just for, for a very long time, I, I thought, um, these, these guys would be the, the uh, lowest hanging fruit to give the gospel to. And they're really not. They're actually more dug in than you realize. I mean, just hearing that stat, that three years, three people went into uh, rehab, right? Um, and, and, you know, how much money was thrown at that program and how much resources, and that's insane. It's, you know, I think uh, those are actually the hardest people and the ripple effects you're talking about. I mean, I mean, they, they left. I mean, they probably have kids somewhere. They probably have you know wives and relatives that they've stole from. I mean, businesses that they've destroyed, uh, um, people that they've robbed. I mean, you're talking about just really deep darkness.
0: Yeah. And you drive down Vegas Boulevard, not Las Vegas, not the Boulevard, but Vegas Drive, and there are trashes everywhere. Yep. Right off the main street and off of Vegas Boulevard. And Mm -hmm. so somebody's got to clean that up. Somebody's paying for that too. Mm -hmm. And again, not that the, not that the solution is somebody, you know, that we don't have dirt, but right. I think for us, the solution is, Hey, there's gotta be the gospel Mm -hmm. and there's gotta be some kind of discipleship. And so really, rather than looking at this saying, Hey, do we throw more money Right, and so this is where Thomas, you're trying to help some of these some of the, the lower income families make wiser decisions with their money because instead they went they get their stimulus check and what do they go do with it? They go buy a bigger TV, <laughs> yeah.
1: and it's like man, yeah.
0: you could have you could yeah. have done you know you could yeah. have paid off, and okay. they're still sitting there with their credit card yeah.
1: debt. And you're not he, I mean he just it's not like you know 22 inch to like 45, it's like 75 to 77. Yes. I, uh, yeah. How? Why? Yeah, yeah. It's, seriously. Yeah, why? Uh,
0: um, but at the end of the day, that's a, that's a legit, you know, um, that's a, that's a, that's a heart issue too, because you're spending your money on what you want mm-hmm. rather than what your family needs. And so again, discipleship issue. So yeah, yeah in, in that, have we, have we missed anything in diagnosing the problem?
1: Yeah, I don't think so. I, I mean, ultimately, I mean, deep, deep, deep worship problem, right? Idolatry. They are their own God. Uh, to the nth degree yes. selfish um, they, they can't see past their own needs and their own yes. wants Dr- drugs uh, provide the greatest happiness why would they leave that they can yeah. get it every day they can live on the streets and get it every day and be the happiest they can be it's right yeah. so well you
0: read the stats on that right the, mm-hmm. the what is it
1: the endorphins yeah what's the stats on it's, meth it's like 7 times or 7 to 13 times I forget what it is like Greater than sex. Oh, wow. Yeah. Something and and like meth
0: that. lasts for like 8 to 12 hours, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So all day, I mean, wow. uh, you're getting hit and you can live that way. You just kind wow. of escape life.
0: Wow. And, okay. So we don't have, so like you said, throwing money at him isn't the solution then because we don't have a financial problem.
1: Right. Right.
0: And building homes isn't the solution because we actually don't have a homeless problem. Mm-hmm. So what we have is a gospel problem. We have a sin problem, and we have an idolatry problem. Mm -hmm. And that's something the church can't answer. Yes. Yep. Now, let's go back to kind of what you said about these people are pretty hard-hearted. To me, that becomes an important part in the church discussion because now you have this question of you only have so much time, attention, resources that you can give to anything, right? You only, Mm -hmm. you know, all of us, the, the great equalizers, whether you're rich or poor or middle class, it doesn't matter. We all have the same amount of time. And there's only so much you can do with your time. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if you if you value time as money, you know, even then there's only so much money that you have. And so the question then becomes is what, where should the church put that time, energy, and resources into? Mm-hmm. And is going to the strip to engage homeless people the answer to that? Right,
1: right, yeah what's your what's your thoughts based on this based, based on the the facts that we've just talked about right it's it seems that um it seems that we we almost need an army of disciple makers yes uh, it's it's i think the the resources need to be poured into disciple making or equipping the church to yes. make the disciples so that you know um so that we have tentacles in every area of life. And, you know, these people have circles of people that we'll never reach as pastors. Right. Um, and they can help them see that, hey, you actually have a worship problem. It's not that, you know, uh, deeper than a drug. We have obviously you have a drug problem. You know that, but your ultimate problem is you don't worship your creator. Right. Yeah. But. So
0: in terms of setting up ministry, though, <clears throat> you know, somebody, again, somebody might be heartbroken for them and say, well, don't, don't you think you need to organize something to mm-hmm. go down there mm-hmm. and to minister to those people? What do you right. say to that person? I'm passing the mic on right now. <laughs> well, so, and the, the good thing is Thomas does see this because, yes. and yeah. I, I don't want to throw any churches under the bus, but sometimes I, I, I hear what some of these churches do and I wonder how they do it.
3: And I think it goes back to what, what was said in the beginning is that it's a, it's a people problem. Yep. Um, you know it's, it's the love for the lost, no matter where they're at. Right, We always try and meet people where they're at. Uh, so coming down once a year because it's serve week and, and a group is going to go down and, and go into the low-income area and, and you know, maybe give out some food and hand out some Bibles um, and, they, and then go home. No, so, you know, if somebody has a heart for it, you know, Gabe, Gabe just said uh, off my parachurch and, and yeah, I, I believe that's true. Come down to where the people that are doing it, you know, and work alongside, um, cause if you just showed up in our neighborhood, right? Like I stick out, everybody knows me now, but in the beginning we stuck out, um, like what are these guys doing in the neighborhood? Um. So there's some things that you have to navigate. So if you just showed up blindly in our neighborhood, um, you know, it might not go so well if you don't know where to stay out of things like that. So you come down and and our door is open. Right. and, and, And come work with some.
0: Well, you've seen that too, because you'll see people come down and like you'll see a horde of people come down and they'll be there for two days or maybe one day and then they're gone. Yeah, from, from the people that you engage with. Now, the people know you because you've been there for three years. Mm-hmm. And so they're used to seeing you. I'm sure you know some of the homeless people down on the strip because they're used to seeing you. You know them by name. There's a difference between engaging somebody that you know by name and engaging somebody you've never met. Yes, there's some kind of relationship established. So from from what you can tell from their perspective, how is that perceived when a big group comes down and says, okay, well, but we did ministry you know, for Thanksgiving. Free stuff. Okay, so they, they almost <laughs> just view that as a free stuff.
3: Yeah, I mean, the holidays are great down there. Yeah, you get all yeah. kinds of things.
0: Yeah. Well, you said, too, that they, they probably should, like, even, we've even talked about this, why giving toys and bikes isn't the best thing to do during Christmas.
3: No, because what it does to the family, right, it, it emasculates. If, if, if there's a man in the house that emasculates him, you know, mom is polite. The kids are over the moon, and you're the hero of the story. Yeah, They're not. So you're not doing anything to help that family. And the bike lasts how long until it's stolen? So I mean, a, a real quick story. They, they last two weeks and they're all gone because yeah, okay. all the apartments, all the gates, all the locks are busted. Uh, there's an apartment complex on our street and the door was open and we know it was dirty. And I'm telling you, it looked like from the outside, there were bikes, it looked like, like there must have been 150 bikes inside that apartment. Wow. They go up on Craigslist. They resell them. And, you know, for the next two months, there's an unlimited cash supply for, for drugs. Yeah. There's so many bikes. I, I don't know how you get, like, that bike that I see, I don't know. It's such a tangled mess. I don't even know how, to, how you get it out, you know? Right, right. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely incredible. And, you know, it's three different organizations that will come down and give people bikes. I mean, kids will have two bikes. I mean, it's just, it's, it's crazy, you know?
0: And it didn't help the family out.
3: Absolutely not. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that's it, right? We're defining helping the family out too now based on this problem is, uh, well, we want you to be wise financially as a, as a, as parents or, or just even as a human being so that you can honor God with your money, but you've got to first want to honor God. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, that's definitely the key. I think like what. Thomas was bringing up to like the people recognize him over there because he's had time to establish relationships with them. So he has trust with them. They'll actually kind of listen to what Thomas says. Same with me with working on the strip, like the homeless people that I come across, there's a lot of regulars. I know the vast majority of them by name and it, when I actually do sometimes it's busy and the job kind of dictates how much time I have to be able to do this. But I do have opportunities to be able to engage in actual conversations with these people and kind of see where they're coming from, what's going on in their lives to how they got to this point in life. And in so tying this back to ministering to them, that that is really the best way to minister to these people. In my opinion, Um, I know Isaiah and I both uh, we've, Talked with I'm not, not going to name them, but we talked with a, this homeless individual for quite a while, over a few years, and established a relationship with him. And then eventually, he was interested in taking advantage of the services that we had available. But it was because we ended up continually talking with him, treating him with like a human. I think that's one of the key things, too, is a lot of times, they don't feel like they, people are genuine when they come. Like, if you come, you give them food, you give them water, and maybe you give them a gospel track. Like, or whatever, you're, whatever you do for that. They're going to think it's kind of disingenuous and you're just kind of doing it to make yourself feel better or do good. Mm-hmm. Or if you get a big group of people and it's like a big church ministry, it's like, okay, they're kind of doing the little church thing, whatever. They don't really care about me as a person. So yeah. when you treat them with dignity and you look at them as someone that is made in the image of God, they're more open to listen and to hear the gospel. And that was kind of one of the things that motivated this particular person to actually want to get off the streets and want to live in a different way. Yeah. Okay.
3: Yeah, yeah And I think that's the key difference. Pe- people will come up to me or it's the, uh, the, the joke where we are, I'm, I'm in a studio apartment is what I office out of and, and the knock comes on the door and my two counterparts when we were all officed in that area we just we just uh, acquired another section of the building that they moved into so I'm by myself but the joke was they don't even think they don't even think about getting up and answering that door they're just Thomas, you know but they knock on that door and they come down you know could I talk to you but because you're building that personal relationship because you're treating them with dignity that they're 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 made in the image of God they have worth they have value um, that you know, when, when, when things come up and they might just ask you something about God. Um, you know, maybe it's, could you help me out with this? Um, it, just something little, but you start building. And, and you know, I, I wish it would be as easy as they just walked up and said, you know, pray for me. I, I, I you know, I, I, I just put my faith in Christ, you know, but, but it doesn't uh, or it hasn't. Uh, I, I pray that it would, but yeah, it's that that relationship and that interaction and that they treat me with dignity. Oh, yeah, that was the one that I was not mentioning his name. Yeah, yeah. So, the, the uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Yeah, but but so my my friend that was on the streets for seventeen years, you know, and, and we talked about that, and, and it got me thinking. But he used to say that he always had to go to sleep with a rock in his pocket because the worst thing that you do is you wake up and you need that hit. And now you got to go get some money or you got to go run to the drug house and get some. So you always made sure of that. There's a gentleman that, that retired out here and, uh, from Philadelphia, and he got a little job to keep himself busy as a, uh, a runner between the... It was, it was for a lawyer and the courthouse. And so he was like a courier between the two. And he just... For two and a half years, he invested his life in Ron. And, um, yeah, it goes back to another conversation, but like, you don't know when it's going to happen, when it's going to click and and the wins, if we want to call them that the success is so small, but I feel like, like the Lord is so good. It happens enough that, man, okay, this is why we do this, you know, and, and it, it, it builds you up, and then the other part is, you know, as you're giving the gospel, but I need to hear the gospel. I need, to, I need to read the gospel. I need to tell myself the gospel every morning for my own self, but also just for the motivation of going out. So anyway, so this gentleman, um, and, and then Ron, so he, he was down, and, and you know, he, he went off in a, in a drug super, and um, they, they have a term for it, but it's whenever somebody comes and steals all your stuff, and, you know, they empty your pockets, they take your shoes off your feet, they grab all your stuff. And they're out of there while you're passed out. So this gentleman sees, sees my friend, and uh, he's got no shoes on. He says, hey, where are your shoes? And he said, somebody stole it, stole them. So he said, stay here. And the gentleman went out and buy shoes. OK, I'll see you later. OK, I'll see you tomorrow or whatever. I'll see you in the next couple of days. And uh, he went in, got some more drugs, passed out again, woke up, and his shoes were gone. And he said, you know what, that's it. And he picked up the phone and he called this gentleman and he said, I'm ready to go. And he said, I'll be right down. And that was two and a half years after 17 years on the street. And just, he said, he'll tell you stories about himself. And I'm looking at him going like, like, I can't, like, I don't believe it, you know? Because I know you now. I didn't know you then. I know you now, right? And you can't believe of what he'll say, like the monster that I was. You know, the devil had me, and he could go off to somebody else because I was just sitting there in my own little hell, you know, addicted to all this stuff and, and just this horrible life of, you know, crime and rebellion and, and losing his mind and, and all this stuff. Um, and, and, yeah, so two and a half years, it, this gentleman worked on Ron with the gospel you know, not like, hey, you need a roof over your head. Hey, you need, no. it was a gospel.
0: Yeah, I think it's right. You hear a story like that and you realize, right, that a lot of people say, well, or you hear them like, well, but but, you know, Jesus ministers to the poor and the weak. And so what we do is we create this image in our mind of what the poor and the weak are. And so we drive by a poorer part of town and we see somebody and we go, well, that that's poor and weak. And what you guys have already said is that a lot of them are already, are very hard-hearted and very intelligent, and they have money. It's just that they're choosing to make their decisions differently. Um, but the difference between a story like you just told and the difference between somebody who owns two companies you know, and lives in the, the most expensive neighborhood in Las Vegas who comes to Christ, the only difference is really their financial and living situation they're both similar in the sense that at some point they became poor in spirit. They recognized their need for a savior. They recognized that they were weak to God and that they needed Christ and they placed their faith in Christ and they repented of their sin and followed Christ. And so if you look at it biblically, theologically, right, then it tells us that we are not shopping, like, right, that ministry and salvation is not found in, in an economic situation. It's found in the, with the right heart situation. Yes. Yep.
1: Oh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Sorry, we passed the mic just to say yeah. I yeah. Agree. Oh, okay.
0: I agree. Yeah. I thought you had something yeah. no, really no. profound to
1: say. Oh, no, yeah, I was no. waiting with bated breath. <laughs> no, <Yeah. laughs> Mike. Yeah. Gabe gave me the mic.
0: So, <laughs> if that's the case, then then the, then maybe right. So, I do want to acknowledge like there are some people that are just really broken. Or really really seem to have compassion for that. And I think their desire, I think, I wonder if writing the check is just kind of, you know, maybe some people just write the check to feel better. Maybe some people write the check because they don't know what else to do. And so maybe the solution for some of those people that don't know what else to do is to is to talk and just get involved so that they become a regular in that environment. Because it seems to me like the resource that these people need is time and attention.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So um, Someone may ask though, right? Like you mentioned that we are commanded to help the poor, right? Yes. And I think I would agree with that. Obviously that's a biblical command, but I think what we're looking at here is that you're defining what the difference is, right? Between someone living in this willing lifestyle of, of, of recklessness, uh, willing, willingly living on the streets and, someone who's actually down on their luck, someone yeah. who's actually poor, yeah. right? So I think knowing that difference helps because you understand that this average person that you see on the street who's living homelessness isn't a poor person. right? Like, like we brought up already, many of them are making social security. They're getting disability. They're getting government assistance. Some of them are, I mean, I came across a guy, he's getting 2500 a month. And I mean, and that's that's... Quite a quite a bit of money, and yet still living on the street, blowing it all. Right. There's there's a guy on the strip right now who is. I mean, every now and then he shows. He's, he's a homeless dude. He's a young dude about my age, and but he doesn't necessarily look too homeless at first glance. But he's always drunk, always um always drugged up. Every now and then, like I think every six months or so, his father shows up picks him up, cleans him up, and then you'll see him on the strip for a little bit. He's in a suit. He looks good. He seems good. And then he goes right back into it because he wants to live in that way. Yeah. That's not a poor person, right? That, that's not someone who we would define as that's someone who actually needs help or is poor. That's someone who's willingly choosing to live with a lack of accountability or responsibility. Right. So I think knowing that difference helps when going into ministry towards a homeless uh, person.
0: Yeah. So then any time... A relationship's helpful, attention, and ultimately they need the spirit to break them. Yeah, and so if they if the spirit doesn't break them and change their heart, then it doesn't. It almost doesn't matter. But I think hopefully, if if you are the kind of person like really broken for them, you know, you find a way to get involved. You find a way to help. You know, maybe you find a way to then, you know, go down to casa and help or tutor and get to know these families and become an individual in their life, and then don't expect any results because I think that's the other problem is that. The, you know, we start looking at, well, how many conversions have we had with the money we're spending over there, which is just the most, uh, it's, you can't think of ministry like business ministry is just expensive yeah. and it's expensive because it's not like a business where you can go, but look at what we produced. You can't look and go, look, the bottom nine, like, and it's hard to even quantify growth. So, um, for us, right. Time, attention, resources, um, time is probably the best resource. Yeah.
3: My my, um, you know, the the word that I use is consistency is so important. Being consistent, it, it's just um, yeah, you have to be out there. Um, you know, each time that you talk to an individual, it's it's another step deeper into their life. Maybe they reveal more. Maybe they ask more questions. Uh, I used to say in the beginning, before I was known in on the streets. It used to take me nine interactions with someone before they would put any kind of a trust in me. And that trust might be, you know, what do you guys do down there? You know, or or a very basic question where they actually have a thought to ask about my life, you know. But it was always nine interactions before we could really start to talk to them, start to kind of speak to them. But consistency is, is by far, I mean, it's the thing that I preach to everybody coming down. That's why the... You know, everybody wants to come down at the holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas. It'll be a rush. We we've stopped a lot of it, so uh, we've gone to a model where we open up a store for Christmas. So, a lot of people want to bring down bikes, and you know, we just get random phone calls. Hey, we want to come drop off a hundred dollars to you. But we stopped doing that. Uh, last year was the first time we did it. We opened up a store. We asked for specific donations uh, for the kids for what they want. Right, and it's the same thing that your kids want. Uh, we put a nominal price on it. The parents were able to come in, shop, spend their money. We had a wrapping section, and they brought their par- they brought the presents home to their kids that they paid for and they shopped for. And it was amazing. We were really nervous at first, but as we watched people's faces, um, we knew it was the right way to go. And we're expanding it this year, um, but getting into the hand-up model versus the hand-out was a big deal because still a lot of people don't get What do you mean you don't want my bikes? So maybe if someone does
2: have like a heart for the homeless and wanting to minister to people in that situation, maybe partnering with somebody who is a Casa de Luz, like I'm sure you guys could use the help, right, or something like that.
3: Yeah, and it's not just us. There's plenty of people doing good things, plenty of organizations doing great things out there. But my only thing would be be consistent uh there, there's a reason why Salvation Army is ringing the bell outside of the Albertsons at that time of year and only at that time of year uh, it, it's where where people's hearts are, but come March, come April, come July, you know that consistency that 's where that becomes very important
0: yeah i would I would even go go so far as to say you know I was thinking about this kind of from a church perspective, because every now and then I get somebody who's like, wow, but shouldn't the church be, like, building this big program to, like, go down and help the homeless and, like, you know, have a serve week down down in, you know, a different part of town? And, and I totally get where they're coming from. And I think this conversation hopefully explains why I don't think that's the wisest answer, you know, to have a serve week down in a, in a different neighborhood. Because, again, you just pop in for one week. It's like, oh, look at those upper-middle-class people all come and visit us for a week, and we'll never see them again. Um, but also too, I, I kind of want to push back on people and say, what you need to do is start realizing that the people around you need the gospel. And so don't, don't look at the poor part of town and go, Oh, they need the gospel. Like your neighbors need the gospel. They they may have two good jobs and three well-behaved kids, but they need Jesus Christ. And so I think, you know, for, as a, as a church leader, one of the things I, I am trying to teach people is you need to see people around you as needing the gospel and if you've got a special heart, go down. That's like It's also okay to say, hey, but we also want to go down and help. I've often joked, like, why does nobody come to me and say, hey, I'm setting up a Bible study in Spanish trails, because maybe rich people need the gospel too. I mean, I think that would offend some Christians, because they would be like, well, they, they have it so well off. And I think being offended by that is more of an indication of where they're at theologically than anything else, and, and maybe even a misunderstanding of the gospel. But the other thing sometimes you'll hear is like, well, why aren't you guys? There's the leaders down there. Shouldn't you be chasing after the lost sheep? And I think what's missing in that is the context of the church. And so it's one thing to, like, kind of for me, I view whether they be rich, middle class, poor, doesn't matter, drug addicts, not drug addicts, I view those people as unbelievers who need, who need evangelism. But for us as a church, there's very specific commands that we are to make disciples and to spend time pouring into fat people and that that is why at some level the church is looking internally to equip members of the church to do ministry so that members of the church are can then faithfully evangelize the lost no matter what situation they're in
1: yeah that's huge i think it, and it's a long-term strategy it's, yes. it doesn't happen like you, you know you can't um if you're not making disciples at a church what are you doing with with your people um right or you are just teaching them that solutions are band-aids, you know? Or you're giving band-aids as solutions and and it's not even serving the correct problem. Right. Yeah, so um it's it's it, so our job as pastors is to help people understand and diagnose the problem better. Yes. That's why we're having we're having this conversation because it is a hot topic today. So, yes. you know, sh- social justice, I guess is what it's framed at as a lot. Um in this case based on the facts it's really these are just really lost people i think of the prodigal yes. son and kind of how he squandered his life and it wasn't until he was eating you know pig food that he realized what am i doing yeah, yeah. and same thing with these people they just need to have that same kind of experience yeah uh the lord needs to wake them up and they just need to be like uh what am i doing like yeah. there's
0: and like, to be fair not not everybody repents through a prodigal son situation yep absolutely you know some some Go ahead. Do what? Sorry.
2: Saying, I, I, what you brought up was interesting. Uh, homeless people don't need the gospel more than rich people. Right. Or more than the middle class person. Right. So I think that a lot of times when we are putting our focus so much on, well, we need a homeless outreach. We need homeless outreach. Right. It really reveals that you're thinking their temporal situation in life makes them more needing of the gospel. Right. And that if maybe if they just had a house or if they just had some money or they just had a, a leg up in society – well, then everything would be okay, and that misdiagnoses the problem. Everyone needs the gospel.
0: Yes. There was a study done in the early 90s, and they they went and looked at different socioeconomic groups. And they asked the question, where is their self-worth? You, know, you remember this, this self-worth or their or ego or their um, positive thinking. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Like, you just need to value yourself. Yep. And so they looked at these different socioeconomic groups, and they actually discovered that the socioeconomic group that had the highest self-worth and pride in them was the California prison system. and <laughs> say all these prisoners thought very highly of themselves, thought, thought they viewed they valued themselves very high self-confidence and the funny part is right that we look at that and go, in your in your wisdom, and your knowledge, you have deluded yourself, you know, but here you are, you know, and so it's interesting. I remember John Street ran that by us, and it was it was crazy because it was that point that, right, that just because you're in the prison system, it, the prison system actually doesn't necessarily put you in a better environment to believe the gospel. True. And I think maybe that's the, maybe that's the temptation is, well, I mean, I know we think that, right, that if you can, if you can orchestrate the environment better, then you prepare the heart better for salvation, but that's just not true. That That's like saying the Holy, yeah, if that were the case, we would all, right, the gospel would be like, look, don't teach your kids the gospel. Take your kids to this context, right? In fact, we would counsel rich people. Rich people, give all your money away and be super poor so that you can guarantee your kids salvation. <laughs> Ooh, see, this is where I could get in trouble because my satire is going to come out, start blowing some thinking up. And on that note, we probably should stop so I don't get myself in trouble. That's get, true. Yeah, Gabe's got to go. He's got a baby. Levi, welcome. <laughs>
2: so, yep. How's baby? Doing good. Doing good. He's, we're getting about like three-hour stretches of sleep now. So. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's better than 30-minute stretches of sleep.
0: That's why you can't do this when you're after 40 because you would be – you go down, man, you know, like i got three-hour stretch, and you get up 30 minutes later and go to the restroom.
2: I will. I still got to beat Gino, though, so.
0: Ooh, it's we a competition.
2: More. Everything's a competition. Uh-oh.
1: I beat Thomas, so.
0: <laughs> are, you, are you okay with this competition?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm winning right now, so. That's
0: true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's going to take a few years yeah, for him yeah. to catch up.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And with Gabe dealing with three hours of sleep, I don't know. He likes his sleep, so we'll see. Yeah, probably, that's true. Yeah. He's yep. like, I can handle two. Not really.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, for all those parents out there with two who don't want to go to three, it's easier. It's actually easier
1: going from two to three. Uh, That that was your case, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's never the case for me. You add one, it feels, you you have one and you have two. It feels like two, not one. And going two to three feels like three and a half.
0: (laughs) I, I wonder, is that because you have two type Bs in your house?
1: Uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe because they're they're closer. Oh, Uh, that's
0: true, too. They're closer. Maybe they're closer. And um, yeah. See, because ours are three years apart. Yeah. Yeah, so by the time Gabe is born, Isaac's kind of got it figured out. Zach's got it figured out. And then we didn't have to potty train Gabe. Mm -hmm. We just looked in the bathroom one day. and was like, did you tell him that? And she's like, I didn't tell him that. I didn't tell him that either. Well, he just watched it watching his brothers. Yeah. Yeah. Do what? (laughs) Oh, that's true. Gabe was an adult when I met him. So he was body <laughs> trained well before then. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Gabe's mom did good. We'll have to talk to Isaiah's mom. Yeah,
1: there's so many variables there. But. Yeah, that's true.
0: All right. Well, listen, uh, if we if say anything shocking or outrageous, uh, talk to Thomas or Gabe about it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, and I think at the end of this, just just to caveat and say, again, we have a heart for every human being. Correct. And we need to view every human being as valuable. Um, But we also need to be wise with our resources. Mm -hmm. And so before we run in and demand programs or demand this or demand that, we really need to ask, what is the problem? And what's the solution to that problem? Mm -hmm. And and here's the other thing. Sometimes there are valuable problems in this world. And then the next question to ask is, but is the church the solution to the problem? Mm -hmm. And I think, right, the church is actually not the Bible doesn't tell us to be a a drug rehab center. Mm-hmm. That's not to say we can't help somebody who was in drugs get off of drugs and then walk walk you know mm-hmm. righteously without that addiction. That's not to say we can't help that individual. But the million dollar question is right: is that if it if you end up the last thing you want to do is look at being like, wow, we got involved with all these programs, and now we don't even teach the word anymore. -hmm. Because you know Jesus Christ is now third or fourth on our time on time resources, energy, and attention, and that 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 can never be the head of the church must always be the focus of the church.
1: Yes, uh, our job is to call people to Jesus Christ, and if if, as as um, uh, valiant as it is, you know, helping people get out of drug addiction, uh, the even greater thing is. To help people find Jesus Christ. I mean, right. What's, but, you know, the perception out there, obviously, is 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 wrong. You know, we value Christ. Right. Um, we value Christ so much. That's why we want people to have him.
0: And I can say this, that even if we, there were ever a program like that in the church, it would be a both and, not an either or. Right. And I think that's, that's the other part, is is a lot of times it gets pitched as an either or. Mm. I, honestly, I think more things get pitched as either ors instead of both ands. Yeah. And I think both and is usually the better way to go, but mm-hmm. you don't have the resources. Yeah. Then, like we don't have a building because we don't have the resources. Right. So,
1: yeah, I mean, but the simple thing—I mean, the simple step of diagnosing the problem is so common sense, but that's exactly what we're not doing as a, as a society.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. and this this cur- this curtails to probably our next podcast topic, which we were going to talk about mm-hmm. because yeah, topic to be coming up is. Helping people, knowing what kind of goals to have for people when you're helping them, yes. which again requires rightfully diagnosing who you're working with. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, with that, until next time. Mm-hmm.